This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guests for this episode are Wendy Heheman and Colleen McGowan-Romanowitz. In 1997, Wendy and her family moved from the Netherlands to Mesa, Arizona, where she learned about modeling instruction at Arizona State University, where she was in the MNS program for middle school teachers in STEM education. As a student worker with Professor McGowan Romanowitz, she helped recruit teachers for the cohorts of the Modeling Institute. Since that time, her career has grown into a position with the AMTA, managing workshops and working with modelers to help with their memberships, accessibility to AMTA resources and opportunities. Wendy is the coordinator behind the virtual events for the AMTA community happy hours, webinars, and distance learning courses. Dr. Colleen McGowan-Romanowitz completed her PhD in 2007 under the direction of David Hestinus, the founder of Modeling Instruction. She was an assistant professor of science education at Arizona State University until 2011, when she transitioned to become the AMTA's first executive officer. In 2014, she retired from ASU to devote her full attention to the AMTA. In 2017, she retired from the executive officer position and became the AMTA's first senior fellow. Colleen continues to write grants, teach courses in modeling instruction, and train workshop leaders. She is well published on modeling instruction, and her current research includes computational modeling, teacher leadership, out-of-field science teaching, and cognition in modeling instruction. Here's my interview with Wendy and Colleen. Hi, Wendy. How's it going? Hi, Mark. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm well, thanks, and surviving the sheltering in place. How's it in the Netherlands right now? Tell me about how the the pandemic is affecting you guys, how you guys are weathering it, what news you have from that part of the world. Well, we're a couple of weeks ahead of the United States, and hospitals are still trying to recover. They had to move patients to different ICUs in different times, uh, different places of the country. So now it's the numbers seem to be slowing down. So it is still increasing, but at a decreasing rate. I can see the graph. Our Prime Minister had another press conference yesterday. Since people are keeping the distance, staying home as much as they can, working from home, uh, schools have been closed since uh, spring break, which is early in, in the Netherlands. Uh, but as of May 11th, elementary schools will be going back into session. They will just have half of the kids and then alternating dates. Uh, children are also allowed to start playing sports again, 12 years and younger. And for the rest, all festivals, sporting events, football is really big in the Netherlands and in Europe. Uh, so they had to stop the competition it will everything will remain paused until september 1st for now when you say football you're talking about what we call soccer right i do but it's only in america where they call football soccer yeah <laughs> i know most people are aware of that 
in the Netherlands, have you discovered some solutions for teaching online and in sheltering in place? Have you guys discovered anything that would benefit others? It seems that teachers in the United States are better prepared teaching online using online teaching or a Google Classroom more than they do here in the Netherlands. Mm. But you guys are elementary schools are going back in May, you said. That's correct. Well, it's great to have you with us today, Wendy. Let me bring Colleen into our conversation. Hi, Colleen. How's it going with you? Great, Mark. How are you? I'm doing quite well, thanks. So you're staying safe and sheltered up in your neck of the woods? Indeed. Um, It's a beautiful time of year to be sheltering. Um, Lots of gardening going on. Cool. I want to jump into our topic for today, which is kind of the evolution and history of the AMTA. And I did an interview with Dr. Hessenis several months ago, and he gave me his perspective as the founder of these ideas and the, this ideology and methodology. And But I kind of wanted to get the perspective of someone who was kind of in on the ground floor. And he told me that in the early days, it was grant-funded, you know, the, the workshops and, and the opportunities that he was making available to teachers. But then when the grant funding wound up, there was a grassroots rising of teachers and modelers who said, we cannot let this stop. So were, were you there in 2005? Um, I was not at the founding meeting, which was dinner at a Mexican restaurant. The next day, I became the very first member um, because those few teachers who were at dinner and decided to found the organization were in my class. The next day, they came to class, very excited. Um, Guess what we did last night? Um, We we founded a nonprofit organization of modelers to carry on the work that David and Jane started with the modeling instruction program. So yeah, I was their first, I was their first member. I took out my checkbook and I wrote them a check for, for life membership. But you were the instructor. I was the instructor of the leadership workshop, which was the class they were attending the next day. Um, They were at ASU attending several classes that you could take um, three classes. Mine was one of the classes they were taking. It just happened to be the day after the, the Mexican dinner that started it all. So take me from the 2005 dinner up until 2012, kind of give me a brief history of what happened during that period of time, and then when Wendy came on as the uh, workshop coordinator. In 2005, um, right after the founders decided to create the organization, about 25 of us joined in that summer, and then over the next six years, a few people joined every summer. There was a meeting of the board every summer. They felt like they wanted to grow the organization and they wanted to take over the work of organizing workshops, but they didn't have the bandwidth. These were all practicing teachers. They did not have the time during the school year to do the necessary legwork to to take this on. Mm -hmm. And Jane was willing to continue to do it Jane Jackson. Jane Jackson was willing to continue to do it herself at ASU. ASU kept um, the office space available to her. Mm-hmm. So she did it as a volunteer at ASU. She was she was a volunteer um, coordinator of the ASU Master of Natural Science program already. 
So she just added this to the duties that she did for the MNS program. So workshops continued to happen because many people felt like they were they were valuable and they didn't want to lose them. But AMTA didn't really do anything hmm. from 2005 to 2011. They had a little Moodle website where they had a few resources that they shared. Hmm. They kept the, um, the nonprofit documents and the minutes of annual meetings and um, uh, the constitution and bylaws and other things. Um, but they didn't do anything. So in 2010, I was invited onto the board to fill someone's unfilled term. Um, they had to resign. And I became more aware of the fact that, you know, there were a lot of people who really wanted something to happen. And yet there was no one with the time to invest mm -hmm. um, to make it happen. And the organization was, was in a little bit of an existential crisis. They were considering just closing up shop. Mm. There were at that time 199 members. Um, in other words, 199 people at one time or another had written a check for $25. And that was from 05 until 2011 that it grew from 25 members to 199 members. Correct. Wow. I think people wrote their $25 check was more or less a vote of confidence that we need to keep AMTA going. Mm -hmm. But it had no activities, really, mm -hmm. other than that, that once a year summer meeting. And so when the opportunity to devote some time to it uh, came along, I decided to do it. Actually, um, this is just personal background. Um, I was unhappy in my tenure track assignment at Arizona State University. And Jack, my husband, said to me, you know, if you don't want to do this, what do you want to do? And I said, I, I really want to make sure that modeling instruction is sustainable. I want to devote my time to AMTA and to making it a viable organization. And he said, then that's what you should do. Work, don't work, do what makes you happy, was what he said. So this is what made me happy. And so that's why I resigned my tenure track position and um, volunteered to the board to be their executive officer. We were having a meeting less than a week after I had this conversation with Jack. So it sounds like you were a part of a small group of very passionate people about modeling, but obviously people who have passions are often really busy doing things to make things work. So tell me a little bit about how the passion of that people led to where we pick up with Wendy. There was great commitment on the part of the people who served on the board of AMTA to keep the organization going, but there was just a, a lack of resources to invest the time. And so while they knew they needed to do something, they didn't know what to do, or they didn't know how they were going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. What they needed was someone with the time and energy to step up and do the necessary daily work mm. to make the organization stand up. Sure. So that was obvious to everybody that we need someone, you know, we need a Jane Jackson mm -hmm. that can um, do the day-to-day -day work, do the necessary communications, figure out how to get some money. And until we have that asset in place, we may not be able to do any more than we're doing right now. So the question for the organization was, do we just say, well, we tried, but we can't do anything and let it go? 
or are we going to, you know, is someone going to step up? You know, they were waiting for someone to step up. You know, it was very clear. And so um, I stepped up. Talk to me about how it went from when you took over as the, was it the executive officer at that point? Yeah. Um, AMTA was patterned on uh, AAPT. And so the structure of their board um, is the same. And so the structure in the Constitution specified that at some point in time, they would have an executive officer who is a paid person that would manage the affairs of the organization. So in 2011, you and Jane were kind of hand- managing everything, it sounds like. Is that true? Um, in 2011, when I began, Jane had set up the workshops for 2011. She had already made those arrangements. Workshop arrangements are made early in the year. Actually, we start arranging workshops as soon as last year's workshops are over, so September or so. So she had the workshops arranged for 2011. I didn't have to work on that. I worked on building partnerships and um, looking for money and basically communicating with the people that we had in the organization, also reaching out to the workshop leaders who were leading that summer and persuading them to let their workshop attendees know that we have this organization and we're going to encourage them to join. How did you find Wendy? What happened in the stretch between 2011 to when you found Wendy? Tell me that story. I had already actually found Wendy um, as she was a student in my master's program. I had a Master of Natural Science program for middle school STEM teachers at ASU Mm -hmm. that I got a grant for in 2009, and she was in one of the classes of a master of natural science students. So she's a hard worker. And when she sees something that she can do, she steps up and offers to do it. I was looking for a volunteer and she volunteered. Mm. Good. So Wendy, you were a student of Colleen's at the time. Yes, I was. Tell me about what your experience was like then, and then take us up through your tenure of being in charge of workshops, how you got there. I completed my um, bachelor's for elementary education, realizing that there was something missing, and I started to look around, and I found this program, the MNS program, for modeling uh, STEM teachers with modeling instruction, and that's where I met Colleen. I worked as a student worker for uh, during that time and gradually started rolling into the position that I that I still have, building relationships with the workshop hosts, building relationship with the workshop leaders, and uh, and with Jane Jackson. Colleen called for a, a volunteer to help with managing the admin of the AMTA activities. Tell me about that period of time. I was in one of the buildings at ASU. I had a small, teeny tiny office with a laptop and I was contacting people who previously had hosted modeling workshops and letting people know that we were going to make a few small changes and that I was going to become the workshop coordinator. Previously, Jane Jackson had been doing that for all those years and now it was going to be part of AMTA, not ASU not the Modeling Instruction Institute at ASU anymore. From 2005 to 2011, when you got involved, the membership was relatively small with AMTA. Colleen, can you tell me about that and those people? There were workshops every summer that Jane organized, just as she had uh, during grant-funded times. 
And um, at those workshops, occasionally leaders would um, let people know about AMTA and encourage them to join. The membership fee was $25. So a few new members trickled in every summer. Interestingly, once someone joined, we never again charged them dues. <laughs> there were supposed to be annual dues of $25, but there was no mechanism in place to generate renewals. So in six years' time, we accumulated a total of 199 people. <laughs> and that was growth from the beginning group, which 25 people? By the end of the summer of 2005, we had um, 25 people who had joined. We just accumulated a few every year. It stood at 199 in 2011 when I took over. These members were maintained on an Excel spreadsheet in the treasurer's computer. Grassroots. Yeah. How many now? How many members uh, are currently with the MTA? It's, it, it settles at around 2,500 um, right now. It goes up and down um, every day as people, people expire and renew and join. But um, the, the average is around 2,500. Would you say Wendy had something to do with that growth? I would say Wendy had almost everything to do with that. So, Wendy, tell me, you helped make that growth happen. Tell me about what you did. When I joined AMTA, um, people who completed a modeling workshop during that time were receiving a free membership. It was part of my job was and still is to entice these people to come back and pay for a membership um, and sometimes with more luck than other times but we hover around the 2500 so every year people take a modeling workshop and we try to roll them all over into renewing a membership or pay for a lifetime membership the lifetime membership increased since the initial 25 dollars right now it is 500 dollars for a life membership and the annual renewal is how much? $75 for an annual renewal. Uh-huh. How important to the work of AMTA are these membership fees? It's one of our revenue streams. The other membership stream is licensing fee for people who attend a modeling workshop, which is paid by the modeling workshop host. Those are the revenue streams that I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. Are those the primary revenue streams? They are. Uh-huh. So it's really important for people to understand that uh, if they love modeling and love AMTA, it's really important for the membership and them on attending the workshops, not just for funding, but also for their own growth and development. That That is correct. So there's not a lot of grant funding and that kind of thing that's happening to support it. That's just starting. Mm. Grant funding is just starting. We've, we've had a few small grants and some grants from family foundations that support our mission, that is um, supporting science teachers mm. um, and teacher community. But for a long time, we were so small and so new that federal grants were not available to us because they couldn't verify that we were trustworthy. Mm. It turns out that federal grants really primarily are the federal foundations who grant are primarily interested in fiscal responsibility. So we had to be able to demonstrate fiscal responsibility, that we had the necessary accounting procedures in place, and that we would be a good custodian of public funds. Mm -hmm. We finally achieved that um, in the past 18 months. Oh, wonderful. 
That's yeah. great. Uh, Wendy, I'd like to ask you a little bit about uh, over the time that you've been there now since 2012, tell me about the process that you go through in helping to expand the influence of AMTA. For the workshop part, I contact people who previously have hosted modeling workshops. There's also people who contact me. They are interested in attending a modeling workshop. We have workshops at 20 different states most of the time. But of course, it's possible that if you are somewhere in, um, in Pennsylvania where there is no modeling workshop, maybe we can ask you to become the host for a workshop. So then we help the person who initially only wanted to attend a workshop transform into a workshop host. So we help set up registration I will get him the qualified modeling workshop leaders in the content area that they would like the workshop to be in. I promote the modeling workshops. Um, we promote the workshops on the AMTA website. We still have listservs. I post information out on the different uh, NSDA listservs, and I have a big database also to promote the workshops. So it is hearsay. People hear about workshops and they want to attend one. Wendy is really the communications lifeline of the organization. She gets members information. She creates opportunities for members to get information. Hmm. Um, so some of that information is about workshops, but a lot of that information is just about how to be in contact with other modelers about things that you care about. Hmm. Things have changed dramatically in the years that she has been here in terms of the breadth of member services that we have available. For the last several years, we have been hosting webinars. Mm -hmm. We would do a presentation and then we would start asking our members, is there something that you would like to share with the community? Initially, we would have board members do a presentation. We have people talk about standard-based grading, about techniques they use in their classroom, how to make whiteboards. This started to grow and more recently now with teachers being at home, we try to have at least one webinar a week. We have webinars that may have 10 people attending. We had one webinar for which more than 140 people registered. And the webinars, we conduct them over Zoom so people can see one another with the proper rules. People are also able to communicate. It's not just a one way with AMTA, we're not a sage on the stage, a guide on the side. So we want to do that in the webinars as well. They need to be interactive. We want them to be interactive. And, and we found that Zoom is a really good platform to do that. We also have happy hours, very informal get-togethers. Uh, Colleen started with those. And some people actually do have an adult beverage, depends on the time of the day. And it's a nice way for modelers to connect to one another. I, I think we were ahead of the curve on virtual happy hours um, because I know that other organizations since the pandemic began are starting to do this. And I'm feeling really good about the fact that AMTA figured out how to do this a couple of years ago. So if somebody's not tied into the system already, how do they get involved and connect with these events? Initially, we would have the webinars and the happy hours just for our community. In order to grow the organization, in order to get the word out about model instruction to people outside of our own bubble, um, we started to promote them on social media. 
So we put them out on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, other organizations, networks, listservs. So using social media, we get the word out to a wider audience, an audience outside of the organization. People still will register through AMTA. So these people are in our database. And then when other communication is being pushed out, they will receive that as well. So, Wendy, is there a way for people that want to get involved in these events and aren't already in the system? Is there a way that they can connect with AMTA? Yes, people can go to the public website, modelinginstruction.org, and click on Contact Us, and they will be connected to the organization. Great. Yeah, so there are a couple more initiatives that have happened in the last five years that are important parts of Wendy's job that she has been a key player in launching. One is the STEM Teachers XYZ movement, and the other is a formal path for training new workshop leaders. In the early days with uh, AMTA or modeling instruction before AMTA existed, Workshop leaders were people who had taken several modeling workshops and they wanted to take it a step further. The true apprenticeship, they would start assisting the workshop leader here and there and then gradually start taking over bigger parts. And then over the course of a couple of years, they would become co-leaders and then workshop leaders. And in 2014, we thought it would be good to start a little bit more formal training. So we had a small group of about 10 people who had taken several modeling workshops in different disciplines. We had people who had taken physics workshops, chemistry, and middle school workshops. They went to Florida International University, and they spent a week there with two master workshop leaders. They were leader leaders. And those people attended a workshop for one week, learning the ins and outs of how it is different teaching teachers to use modeling instruction as opposed to your own students teaching them the content using modeling instruction. So the first time was at FIU with a collaboration between the university and AMTA. AMTA sponsored the teachers. We would have travel grants. Housing was provided by FIU. Then for the next three years, leadership training happened at Columbia University, the teacher college with STEM Teachers NYC. And the last two years, we have had leadership training at Arizona State University. And we thought it was very appropriate to do it at ASU since that is where modeling instruction was founded. The leadership training will take place during the workshops because an important part is observing what happens in a modeling workshop, looking at it from a leader perspective, not as a participant, because it's a big difference. Mm. People are listening and they are wondering what would it be like to be involved in a workshop? And tell me a little bit about the credentials of those who are leading the workshops. The pathway to become a modeling workshop leader is the first step is you need, you need to be recommended by your own workshop leaders. The workshop leaders need to see mm. something in you that they think you have the potential. Sometimes workshop attendees contact me, may not be the best way to do it, but we still check the recommendations of their workshop leaders. Mm. People have to have taken at least two face-to-face -face modeling workshops 
that is a rule that may change since AMTA is making some changes in the way workshops are being delivered. And you have to have used modeling instruction in your classroom for several years. You cannot teach other teachers how to use modeling instruction if you don't know how to do it in your own classroom. Sure. How many leaders do you have in place, uh, roughly? At this moment, between 250, 300. Wow. Okay. So the capacity to do workshops is great. The pandemic has kind of made that a little difficult. But uh, yeah, that's uh, really great to hear. But with having 250 plus workshop leaders and having between 50 and 80 workshops a year, not everybody will be able to lead a modeling workshop. Sure. Which probably gives them some breathing room anyway. It does. Uh It's nice to have a little time off if you you need it. We're, We're also adding distance learning, which is one of the reasons that Wendy mentioned that there might be an exception to leader preparation Leading a distance learning workshop, we're all discovering um, during the pandemic with trying to learn how to teach online. It's a different proposition from leading a face-to-face workshop, and it requires training. It requires practice, and it requires a different sort of, um, it's not even a workshop. It's a course. We call it a course, not a workshop, because it's not the same learning experience. Um, That's not to say it isn't a valuable learning experience. Everyone who's attended a distance learning course that AMTA has offered um, in the last four years has has given these courses rave reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, Everyone except the leaders. (laughs) (laughs) Because the leaders who have been, um, you know, who have been brought up in a face-to-face learning environment just don't feel that a virtual setting is the same rich discourse environment that a face-to-face classroom is. Can you describe what they are saying the differences are? Like from an attendee's perspective, if I go to a face-to-face workshop, how is it going to differ from the, for lack of a better word, Zoom meeting? Well, um, you don't have the lab equipment at home. Mm. So we have to figure out how to do those labs in a different way. We can coach you through doing some kitchen table chemistry or physics, but more likely we are going to have to show you a video of that lab and let you use video capture software to collect your data or send you to a FET simulation. FET is um, a website that has lots of different simulations in uh, multiple disciplines, not just physics, although their largest uh, catalog of, of simulations is in physics. The lab experience is just different. The discourse environment is different. Um, on a video call, one person can talk at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, in, a, in a modeling classroom, there are often multiple simultaneous conversations. Yeah. You have small groups working at many different tables, um, and the teacher can wa- look around the classroom and see who needs help. They can walk around the classroom and listen in on conversations. It's not quite the same in Zoom. We have the ability to break people out into small groups in Zoom, but we don't have the ability to listen in on all of them simultaneously. Right. So you have to plan a different learning experience, um, but it's still modeling, and it's still of great value to the teachers who attend these courses. One difference I'm aware of is that in the face-to-face sessions, it's two or three weeks of concentrated every day. You're in the classroom 
Whereas in the online learning, it's a series of what, like 15 classes over the period of 15 weeks or something like that. It's spread out. Correct. Up to now, our distance learning courses have been offered during the academic year, and we meet three hours a week for 15 weeks. So a 45-hour course versus a a 90-hour face-to-face summer experience. Mm -hmm. Um, The good thing, I think, about distance learning is that you get a small dose every week, and then you can go back to your classroom and practice with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so it's not quite as saturated as the summer workshop is, where at the end of a six-hour workshop day, you're exhausted and you need to go back to your dorm room and do something else. There's time to actually let it soak in, in the academic year distance learning course environment. Another advantage of the semester-long courses is that not all teachers are able to travel to a workshop site. Mm. Sometimes they have to go out of state, additional costs for housing, but people also have families. So we have heard so many people asking for first-year modeling workshops to host those online. And for the first few years, people had to have taken a face-to-face workshop before we would be able to take a distance learning course. So we reach teachers that otherwise would not be able to attend a modeling workshop. I I did want to, as an addendum to the distance learning courses that we have been doing during the academic year up to now, um, now that it's pandemic time, we have decided to do distance learning courses this summer. For the very first time, we will do introduction to modeling instruction in physics, chemistry, biology, middle school science. This is the first time we will be offering content courses for people who have never taken a modeling workshop before. Hmm. Um, so uh, an exciting new initiative that is uh, brought to you by COVID-19. <laughs> Oh, boy. And AMTA's desire to meet teachers' needs in whatever situation those needs arise. That's great. Wendy, how would you pitch to somebody who's not been to a workshop to make sure they get to one, either distance learning or face-to-face down the road? If you want to become enthusiastic about teaching sometimes again, or if you just want to become enthusiastic about teaching taking a modeling workshop, being around other teachers with like-minded people, you're doing science. What's not to like, who doesn't like to do science? You're doing labs every day. You're spending time with people who think the way you do, because not everybody is taking a modeling workshop. So the colleague who wants to do the same thing each and every year is not going to attend a modeling workshop. Or maybe they do once they see how much a teacher who took a workshop enjoys teaching again, has these fantastic labs, has students who really enjoy the classes, take a modeling workshop. If when I started as the workshop coordinator, I was a little bit intimidated by attending a modeling workshop. I took a few. I can be in student mode all the time. I did elementary education, so I am not a high school chemistry teacher. The materials are developed for high school students, so I did not have to be in student mode. In modeling instruction, you have teacher mode to debrief, and you have student mode to experience the academics the way your students do. I didn't have to pretend to be the student. I was the student. It's 
it's a different way of learning. I learned so much during those workshops. Um, misconceptions were addressed, misconceptions I didn't know I had, and it's addressed in a way that's not confrontating. They Nobody puts you on the spot. You can be your, your bad student, you know, the kids that are in the back of the classroom. Learning in a different way, hands-on activities. Uh, the pedagogy is so well thought through. Everything is research-based. You can go back into the into the history, see how everything has been developed. All the materials also have been developed by classroom teachers. It's not some hotshot who is sitting in an expensive office to just put words on paper. It is very well thought through, tested by teachers, tested by their students. If things don't work, if there's mistakes in the curriculum, teachers come to me hey, I don't think this answer is correct. So the people who take the workshops also sort of own the material. You have influence. And the way the materials are written, you can adjust them to fit your needs. If you are like I am in Arizona, and if you have to do something in physics uh, to have something that doesn't have friction, snow may not be the best thing to use in Arizona where there's no ice and no snow. <laughs> you can adjust the material. So if you want to get excited about teaching again, take a modeling workshop. If you want to be around like-minded people, other teachers, take a modeling workshop. If you want to address your own misconceptions and or your students, take a modeling workshop. Wow, that's awesome. You know, it's interesting that you say if you want to be excited again about teaching. I have heard that time and time again from people I've talked to who have been through the workshops. It's a very common statement. I re-found my passion for teaching. That's a wonderful thing. Well, but Wendy, I want to say thank you for taking the time. I know it's getting closer to bedtime back there where you are in the Netherlands. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is a very different way of reaching other teachers and podcasts also reach a different audience and also to reach our current members, people who once upon a time were an AMTA member. Maybe they can renew, hint, hint. Just a different way of connecting with uh, the science community. And another way that AMTA has evolved in the last 15 years of existence. Wow, we're 15 years old. We're an adolescent organization now. Isn't that awesome? But adolescence also comes with some growth challenges as well. Although I'm sure the AMTA will be fine as it continues its journey. Well, it's been a real pleasure for me to talk with you ladies. This has been a chunk of time out of your life and we very much appreciate you taking this time and the time that you spend helping the AMTA do what they're doing. Thanks to both of you. Thanks, Mark. It's always a pleasure to chat with you about AMTA. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Science Modeling Talks. Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. 
Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom. 